Hey, this is Bruce. I'm the pastor of the Word Church, Kimberley. I'm so glad that you're joining us on our podcast today. I trust that Jesus will speak to your heart, that you'll be strengthened with faith, and that you'll experience the breakthrough that you're looking for. Enjoy the message. Bishop Pitts, all the way from Toledo, Ohio, um, oversees the, or began the whole Cornerstone Network, and your mom's part of it. Come stand with me, do me the honor. Love you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. Be blessed. Well, let's say amen for Pastor here. Come on, everybody clap your hands. God bless you. How awesome is this to be in church on this Friday night? And I would imagine that there was probably some time in your life that people would have been placing bets that you would never be in church on a Friday night. Because uh, if it's anything like America, I know in, in Pretoria on Thursday nights, on Thursday nights, that's everybody wants to go out on Thursday nights. And then I'm thinking Friday nights are always when people are off work for the weekend. And I know all of you have been Christians all of your life. But when you're not serving God, Friday nights, everybody's out running, doing things that you are now forgiven of. Amen. Praise the Lord. We release you from all of that. And we're glad that you're in church on Friday night. My first time ever, all the times I've been to Africa, my first time ever being in Kimberly. And, and I am loving it. And just, just glad to be with you guys. Sorry our time is so short, but I believe that, that God has a way and a tendency to maximize moments. If you really look back over your life, you'll find out that sometimes it only takes a moment for God to do something that changes everything. And that's what I'm believing for here tonight uh, with you guys. And so um, I, I want to I speak on something here. Um, just before I was coming, a few verses were, was coming to me, and um, I don't know if this is your custom, but in, in, in our church back home, usually we stand up when we read a scripture, and if that doesn't, doesn't bother you or whatever, then we're going to stand, and I think some guys back there, I was told that if I say scriptures, they can put them up on the Bible in King James. They have to put them up in King James. I'm not assiduous about it. I don't have a doctrine about King James. I know people get really funny about their translations, which is an interesting thing to argue about because I'm just glad. I don't care what translation you read. I just want you to read something. And, uh, and I like to read a lot of different translations, but I, but I learned the Bible by reading King James. So when I'm trying to remember a scripture, I always hear it in my head in King James, so you'll have to hear it in King James, and then if you don't like it, you can go home and read it in the Message Bible, or, or do as you normally do, and just rewrite it yourself. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and uh, I want to start at verse 1, I'm just going to read a few verses here, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Verse 2, a time to be born. Everybody say out loud, a time. Say it like you're not at a funeral. A time, a time. to be born. 
Okay, so let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And um, this, is this, this is the passage where Nicodemus is coming to Jesus. John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees whose name was Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no man can do the things that you do except for God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Barely not, uh, barely, barely, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 4, And Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Five And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except a man is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. One more verse here. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Everybody say a time, a time. To, be born. to be born. Okay, so let's do Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is, uh, is interesting because uh, this is the man who was by the gate called beautiful. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour and a certain man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask of alms of them that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go up into the temple was asking alms of them and Peter fastened his eyes upon John with him, with John, and said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting, everybody say expecting, yeah, expecting. How many are expecting tonight? Yeah. He was expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, only diamonds, but such as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Only two more verses, guys. Verse number eight. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. I'm going to take these uh, three verses and see if I can't articulate something to you about a time to be born. A time to be born. All right, everybody hold your hand up right now. And say, something, something is, ready is ready to be born. You may be seated. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. The, um, the human being, which, which all of us are in that category, the human being is um, unique amongst all the creatures that God has made. Human being is unique amongst all the creatures that God has made, partially because man is the only creature that God has made that lives in two worlds at the same time. We live in one world that is material, one world that is fixed and permanent, one world that, that you can hold with your hand and touch and see and smell with the natural senses. Uh, we live in another world simultaneously that is not visible, but it is invisible. It is not the material world, but it is the spiritual world. And as to one world can be held in your hand, the other world has to be held in your heart. One is passing away, the other one is ever increasing. 
One we're visiting for a little bit. The other one will be eternity. And so we live in two worlds at the same time, which makes us separate from the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, angels, or any other created being that God has made. Man is also unique amongst the creatures that God has made because only to man has he given the power of choice. He's given us the power of choice. Birds don't have a choice. Uh, fish don't have a choice. He, he gave us the power of choice. The power of choice means we have the capacity to prefer. Anytime you have a choice, you prefer one thing above another thing. And God gave us the power of choice so that all of creation may worship him by design. Only man worships God by choice. And it is that choice that means that I prefer God above everything else that God has made. And so though I, I, though I can stand in awe at the mountains that he has created and the trees that he has formed and the great hole over here that I saw today and that we can stand in, uh, amazed at the rainforest and the waterfalls and the mountains that God has made, I have the capacity to prefer God above all the other creation that he has made. Therefore, that gives me the power to worship, which makes me unique amongst all of the creatures that God has made. I want to give you a long list, but what also makes us unique amongst the creatures that God has made is that man is the only creature that God has made that studies himself. We're the only thing that are fascinated with our own being. There's not support groups for baboons. They don't get together and wonder what their purpose is. They don't have angst. They don't go through existential crises. Nothing that God has made it really wonders. Birds don't wonder, why do we fly? Why could I not have been a dolphin? They don't have these kind of things, but man is the only creature God has made that studies himself to such a degree that if we go to a bookstore, we have entire aisles that we dedicate to ourselves. What makes us tick? Who we are, how we are, why we are. We have birth order books so that we can categorize each other. Oh, you're a firstborn. That's why you're bossy. You're the baby of the family. That's why you want attention all the time. And then you're a middle child, which means, yeah, thank you. That little shout there proves that you are a middle child. Because you have to fight for attention from the oldest one and the baby. And so we're, we're concerned about these things, you know, and we have these, we have to know in the birth order, and then we have to know our genealogies, you know, and some people here, no doubt, because it's a big thing in the world, that people, you know, are studying their genealogies. And I was, I was telling Pastor Yaman before service that I'm fortunate enough to live in a family, right now we have five generations who are presently alive. And so my dad's mom, my dad, me, my son, and my three grandsons were all breathing at the same time. Five generations. Anyway, my dad likes to study genealogies. Huh. So um, my dad traces our family all the way back. And it's, and it's an interesting thing. It's a beautiful thing. And people have 
different things that they do, and it's important. Somebody needs to categorize this thing. The Bible is filled with genealogies, right? It's, that's how the book of John starts. And Matthew, and it goes all through the 40 generations of Jesus, you know, from David and the carrying away Babylon, 14 generations, carrying away Babylon, and 14 generations, and there unto day 14. It's 42 generations. Of, I mean, we have genealogies. They mean something. My dad, I, do they do this thing where, where in, in the States it's like a 23andMe or something, you know, it's, a, it's where people buy each other like DNA tests, you know, and, and you don't know about this. And, oh, this is fascinating. You'll love this. <laughs> this is fascinating. So you can get these little things, and then you take a swab of your DNA, and you put it back, and then you send it, and then they, they, they have this millions of people doing it so now they have a thing by which they can connect you to people and tell you your genealogies and how much how how much of you is what where did you come from and things like that and my dad is fascinated with this because he likes genealogies and then they put it all on if you if you allow them to you can connect with other people that may be in other states who you've never met but the dna proves that somehow you're related which is a scary thought but anyway they they connect people all over the place and they're finding missing loved ones and all kinds of things and so my dad buys me one for christmas <laughs> and um he says you know he says like he's done something for me, and he says, you know, I, you could take this, I want you to take this DNA test. I said, no, thank you. He said, but, but you might want to find out who all you're related to. I said, the ones I know I don't like. <laughs> because everybody takes these DNA tests acting as if they're going to be related to somebody important. Like maybe we're going to trace our life back to George Washington or or Thomas Edison or someone I'm I'm afraid <laughs> I'm afraid that I might find out that I'm related to Charles Manson or somebody you know I I don't know anyway so I leave it alone but we're fascinated with ourselves we're fascinated so then we have we have most most organizations and things will do some kind of personality profiles right a disc profile Taylor Johnson temperament analysis Minnesota multi-basic personality inventories strength finders Whatever, because we're fascinated. And then when we get married, we're super fascinated. Because I no longer want to know what makes me tick. I want to know what makes my wife like she is. <laughs> You're adding your own definition to that statement. I was just... And so, and so we, we want to know, why do our children act the way that they do? And why do we act the way that we do? And, all of these things. So now we have this, this fascinating study that we have to understand that we are, we are who we are, how we are, why we are, sometimes based on where we are. I'm actually going somewhere with this. And based on where we are. So Africa is a large continent. America is a, is, is a large country. And so, uh, so we know that, that people have certain proclivities and customs sometimes based on where they are. And um, so for, uh, in, in America, if you come from the, the South in America, that's a different culture than New York City. People in the South like a lot of land, and they don't want you on it. And, and if, you, if you get on their land, you, you usually hear a, uh, the clicking of a shotgun as they're greeting you. you they go out on their front porch and they go, what you doing on my property? That's how they say hi. In, 
And if you go to New York, people don't have a lot of property. They live on top of each other, and they're all this way. And so there are different foods and different customs, different ways. And I'm sure that you could relate all of these to different places in Africa, that part of what makes us who we are is where we are. Where we are has an effect upon who we are. We're also who we are based on when we are. Because people who are alive today are somewhat the way that they are because of the times that we're in. And that's why it seems as if older people always have a certain problem with younger people. It's not because they are biologically different or the aliens that you presume that they are. It's more because of when they live. And, um, and so I find out that people who are older like antiques and things that are older, and people who are young want new stuff. Young people don't collect old stuff. Young people don't like old stuff. They want new stuff. And so we find out that when we are has a bearing on who we are and how we are. And, and we, all, we have this thing called a generation gap. Are you familiar with it? And there's always a generation gap because every generation has its own sound and its worldview and the way they approach things. And so the, the, the largest, the largest uh, numbers in generations uh, was the baby boomers. The baby boomers, right? And that, that came through the 60s, and it's the largest generation. And now all of them are kind of like a wave moving through society, changing it and heading towards retirement age and all those kind of things. And the next largest is the millennials. And there's a gap between the boomers. How many of you would be qualified as boomers? Is that a phrase that we use here in Africa? Do your arms work in Africa? Okay, everyone, okay, everyone, thank you, thank you. We have one, we have one, he's a firstborn, firstborn right over here. All right, do we have, um, do we have, okay, everyone who was born from 1960 and before that, 1960 and before, stand up, let's see who you are. Come on, 1960 before, come on. All right, 19. You guys are going to make me work, aren't you? I feel it. Yeah, that's okay. 19. Okay, so anybody born after 1964? Everybody born after 1964, stand up. Okay, now you're like right in that middle zone, aren't you? I, I went from 60 to 64 and I lost him. He's like, what happened, to, what happened to us over here? Okay, now watch it. Look at this room, okay? So all of us here that are standing, I know I caught you right there in the middle somewhere, but, you know, you're, you're still here. The, look at all of these here. So this has to do some, somewhat with the way that we see the world. We see the world differently, and we are partially who we are, how we are, because of when we are. We see the world differently than people did um, in the, at the turn of the century, the 1900s. Would you agree with that? We see the world different. All right, so now everyone that was born 1982 or past remains standing. Everybody else sit down. 
1982 and forward, if you were born 1982, 83, 84, that way, remain standing. Did I say this right? Am I, am I making it right? You're tracking with me? All right. See, look at this. All right. Now, my son was born in 1990. He sees the world differently than me. I'm still trying to straighten him out. All right, so if you were born in 1990 or after, you remain standing. Everybody else sit down. <laughs> now, just, just, just for a minute, just bear with me for a minute. We're going to get somewhere. The thing is, now, those of you that were born 1960-ish, in those in that decade or 1970 you can look around and realize that you know that the people that are standing don't see the world exactly the same way that you see it am i right about it and uh, okay everybody be seated just for a minute all right so i'm i'm, I'm trying to get there be, because we have this thing we have this thing with generations that is interesting because we have a different way of seeing the world. We have a different way of, of finding our movement through the world. And it's always a generational gap because no generation feels like the emerging generation that is coming to leadership. We never feel like they know what it means to work as hard as we did. And I like to torment millennials because they're so soft, um, number one. Because if you, if you torment them in a message, they're going to need counseling for a week. Because you hurt their feelings or something. I don't even know what that means. But, uh, but I like to pick with millennials because, um, you know, millennials, millennials have this thing, you know, like you're millennials and all, right? And um, I like to remind them that the only thing they have contributed to the world population at this time is social media. All right, so other generations actually invented things. I'm just going to let that work through you right there. And um, so let me just move on. So the point becomes we are who we are, how we are, based on where we are and when we are. We're also who we are and how we are based on whose we are. Out of all the things that God gave us the choice over, the one thing he did not give me the choice over is who my parents were. I had no choice in that. So there are things in life that are our choosing, but there are things in life that are God's choosing. Everybody say, a time, time. to be born. So the interesting thing is I had no choice when I came into the world. I had no choice about where I came into the world. And I had no choice about through whom I came into the world by. But I do know that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And before I was formed in my mother's womb that God knew me, which meant my arrival upon the earth, 
through the seed of my father, the womb of my mother, into the city of God's choice at the time of God's choice means that I'm here to fulfill a purpose, not because I chose it, but because God chose it. So somebody needs to tell you that wherever you find yourself in your birth order, in your skin color, in your gender, to whose family you belong to, to what continent you live on, to where you are finding yourself now is a result of a divine plan of God that has determined to put you here to bring his kingdom into the earth for such a time as this. And I need everybody to clap your hands right here. Come on. Come on, everybody. Come on, here we go. We're getting ready to go. We're getting ready to go. We're getting ready to go. You got to see this. You got to see because there's a time to be born. So now when we're fascinated with, with the DNA things because we're still studying ourselves, understanding even as believers that we know that we're here for such a time. We didn't just show up. And this is important because people in the world with their worldview today feel like they are just the random collection of cells or something, you know? And, and somebody has to tell them that you don't have to change uh, your, your gender. God didn't make a mistake, you know? And, 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 and we, you know, all you... We don't. We shouldn't have to give you a physical to tell you whether you're male or female. This is this is this is bi biology. Follow the science, DNA. What's the matter? What's the matter? All right. I'm going to self-identify as an apostle tonight. But anyway, the uh, the, the the deal is is that God puts you here at the right place, the right time. So DNA is fascinating to us because we are potentially the first generations of people that have really had some kind of an understanding of DNA. And so we understand through our DNA then, uh, physically, that it has an effect upon us, that, that things run in a family, right? You can see a lot of family resemblances, and, and, and our DNA controls so much, right? It controls um, height, it, it controls uh, pigmentation of skin, colors of eyes, uh, coarseness or fineness of hair. It, 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 it tells us what uh, sometimes even to the, the degree of what uh, diseases are, are, we are prone to, that we have to watch out for, that we should be careful of, and what things that we are resistant to, and all of these things have to do with the physicality of our DNA. Somebody say, I hear you. And so, but then, but then we begin to take it a little further, and we realize that our DNA also goes beyond physicality, and it also moves into our psychology, emotional personalities. Uh, and, and of course, some of it is nurture, some of it is nature, all of that kind of a thing. But, but there are traits that people come into the world with that they did not choose, that God chose. There are some families that everybody in the family is musical. They're good at it. It's, it's, it's in them. And you know this from when they're a child. They could be three years old and tapping on rhythm, right? And other people are 50 and they, they're still swatting flies. <laughs> they, they try to praise in church, but it looks like they were struck by lightning or something. I don't know. And... Uh, but that's in them. It's in them. They came into the world that way. And some people like order, and they like things to be in place, you know. And, and even as children, you know, they want things clean, and, they, they're, and they're opinionated, you know. As little kids, they're opinionated. 
They don't want you to put them in the clothes that they don't want to wear. I want to wear this. And, they just, and it feels like it, the whole house is going to, it's just like, they don't want to wear that. And their, their opinion, they just came into the world that way. And we, we, my wife and I, this November, Kathy and I will have been married 38 years this November. So, woo-hoo, 38 years. So we have two children. So we, we only have two. We have a girl and a boy. They don't make anything else. That's enough for me. All right? So I told Kathy we got one of each model. I'm good. I'm good with that. And so, so Kathy and I were, you know, young, young. And, and so our first baby, our daughter Meredith, who's now pastoring the church that we founded. And so there's, there's Meredith. And, and Meredith came into the world compliant. She likes rules. She likes to know structure, what's expected of her, how can she succeed, and she was just that way. She came into the world that way, and when she was, she was little, you know, two years old, you know, she would come into you, bedtime, have a little blanket, and she'd look at us, and she'd say, put me to bed. I said, this is awesome. Let's have another one. My son came into the world differently. He, um, he doesn't get tired. He would run full energy all day long until, until he just, like he ran out of batteries somewhere. And you would find him somewhere in the house, like halfway up the stairs. <laughs> like he had just fallen asleep on the stairs because he just ran to the end. He never, he never had like a bedtime. You know, when, the, when there's a full moon, you would wake up and hear him howling or something. He's, um, and and if, you, if you gave him structure, he would always go outside of it. Always testing everything. He came into the world like that, right? We had to come to peace with the fact that they came into the world like that because for a while, what I like to do is, as you know, husbands and wives do, we, we blame it on your people. <laughs> and when my kids would act up, I would tell my wife, that's your people right there. That's how your people do. And because, you know, they come in, to the world with things that they didn't choose, you didn't choose. And th this is fascinating because you can't make something be what it's not. You could call it anything you want to, but it's still what God made it to be. So now they come, in, they come into the world with this thing. And I grew up in a house, my dad is like a math genius or something, you know, like a beautiful mind. Oh, he's not watching, but anyway, it's a thing. It was, it was childhood trauma for me, but because I don't do numbers. I don't do numbers. And I had to go to, um, do you have a summer school? What, what happens when you fail a grade? You repeat it. Yes, okay, that's what I did for math many years. And, yeah. But this is difficult 
when my dad is a math guy. That's what he does. To this day, he teaches chess to, to young people. He did estimating for Excello Aerospace Corporation, trying to do with their stuff, numbers. And when I would have math homework, some of my most painful memories is my father standing behind me trying to watch me solve a problem <laughs> and me hearing him breathe hard behind me like <sighs> tapping his foot like I cannot believe you came from my loins because he came into the world liking math. He likes numbers. It makes sense to him. And some people come into the world that are judicious in their thinking. They like rights and wrongs, and they like things that fit. And if they go too far with it, we call it OCD. And OCD people are put on the planet to help people like me stay organized. I'm good with it. So we have all of these things that we come into the world with. My son came into the world musical. That's what he does now. He lives in Australia, and he's a musician. That's what he does. He's musical. He's a bit of a hippie, but I'm good with it. <laughs> My daughter, on the other hand, is pastoring our church. Go figure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they came into the world that way. This is my wife's people, by the way, you know? And they come into the world that way. What I'm trying to tell you is that if you, if you look through the understanding of Scripture, you'll find out that, that Israel's children developed into 12 tribes. The 12 tribes of Israel understood that if you were part of their DNA and their tribe, they brought certain things into the world with them. Yeah, here we go. Now I'm going. So now if you came from the tribe of Judah, then you were, that's the praising tribe. That's what, that's what ran in their DNA. That's what was in them because they were part of the praising people. And so they understood then, if there is a choosing of God over the tribe of Judah, and you surrounded the people that came from Judah with an external culture that matched their internal calling, that God would take that thing and then turn it into the spiritual dimension, and that their music and their proclivity for songs, God would then take and push it into the spirit and be able to win battles just by their singing because their natural environment and their internal choosing of God was surrounded and put into the dimension of the spirit. And if they went into battle, he could say to them, send Judah first. And Judah would go out there in front and by their songs and by their praise, God would scatter their enemies. But if you were looking for a judge, you did not go to, to Judah. You went to Dan because the judges came from Dan. And while the, while the people of Judah were clapping and popping fingers and writing songs and learning instruments, the tribe of Dan was having conversations about judicial matters. And they were studying nuance. And they were studying right and wrong. And how should this thing be? And how does this decision have bearing upon all the other decisions that we are going to make? And so God chose the judges from the tribe of Dan. You don't want Dan leading praise and worship. Sorry, if you're, I just realized you might be a praise and worship leader and your name happens to be Dan. No disrespect intended. 
But from the tribe of Dan, the judges came from the tribe of Dan. And then you can go on and on with all of the, all of the tribes had certain things that they brought into the, into the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God then in the, in the old covenant was 12 tribes that made up one kingdom. By the time we get into the new covenant, just to clarify that for you so you don't go wrong with it, by the time we get into the new covenant, we realize that we are all in the same family, and what happens then is every one of those anointings is available to every believer who is alive upon the earth now. And so it is not so much distributed today by the natural DNA as it is in the spiritual calling. Therefore, but we have in our churches and in our gatherings, people who are called to be on the platform and to lead in praise and worship because they are musical, because they understand pitch, because they know how to be on key. And we have other people that are forbidden to be on the platform. The Lord would say unto you, no, we don't need you here. We need you running a camera. We need you operating the, the computers, because there are people that are tech all the way here. And since we've been here, Yaman has to keep grabbing my phone and hooking me up to whatever Wi-Fi we're close to or to put me on a hotspot because technology is foreign to me. I don't work with technology. I get people around me to help me with technology because those things, my brain is abstract. It does not work like that. I'm, right now, I'm free associating with you right here. We're, we're doing it that way. So I have people around me that take care of computers. For years, I have stacks of legal pads because I always wrote everything out by hand. I always wrote them out by hand. And so I have stacks of legal pads from messages I preached that look like hieroglyphics and, and things because it's just getting it out. That's the way I do it. But there are other people that don't need to be up here. They need to be working with technologies. They like things. They like pictures. They like cameras. They like things that sparkle and move. <laughs> they like all that. That's a beautiful thing. We need you, but we don't need you here. We need you there. There are people who have an affinity for and are great with children. They can take a cardboard box and a room full of kids and keep kids occupied for an hour with a cardboard box, and they end up learning a lesson about Jesus because they're good at it. They're good at it. Other people are glad for those people because you want to be in church and you want to be at least away from your own children for the service. We all have, what I'm trying to tell you is I've had people on my staff that were great tech people that I told them, I do not want you to talk to anybody who's breathing. Because, because they were terrible with people. They were awesome with computers. If you give them an assignment, as I need this categorized, make the cure, you do this thing and put this thing in order and do all that, blah, 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 perfect. And they will just go get it done. You, but interaction with other human beings is, is not their quality. And so they would actually upset more people than they're actually helping because they need to be behind a computer. And I've actually had people that I would tell them, I need you to take care of this. Don't talk to anybody. Don't, I don't even want you to pretend because even when you try, it makes it st stressful. Because you can tell they don't want to. They're like, hi, Bishop said I should say hi to you.
And then they get their bag of chips and go sit down back behind their computer. And they're as happy as they can be when they're talking to a computer. What I'm telling you is that we all bring in, and this is what Paul is trying to teach us, is it not? That what he tells us that we all need each other because somebody sitting close to you is bringing something to the body that you don't bring. And somebody else is good at something that you're not good at. And what we have to be careful to do is not to judge somebody else's weaknesses by our strengths. And we think that everybody should be like us, but we don't want everybody to be like you. One of you is all we want. We, we love you, but we only want one of you. And so we all bring that to the table. Time to be born. Time to be born. I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this because, because the thing is, they come to Jesus and they find this guy who was blind from birth. A time to be born. Everything is a time. This guy was born blind. And they ask Jesus this question now because we study ourselves. Why is he blind from birth? Who sinned? His father or his mother? And Jesus said, no, no, this is not about his father or his mother, but that the glory of God might be revealed. I'm trying to get you to see even the imperfections of your life, not through the eyes of victimization, or pity, but that potentially that God has allowed you to come to the world at such a time as this with gifts that were not your choosing so that a new level of glory could be revealed to the people who are around you. And it is possible to be raised in an environment that you don't have vision. And you're just wandering through life. And people ask you, what do you want to do with yourself? What is your purpose? What is life about to you? And you don't have a vision. Because maybe you came up at a time or in a place or around people that did not build a culture for you on your inside to make you believe and to understand that God brought you here for a reason. Therefore, you have bought into a worldview that believes that you just showed up and surprised everybody. And therefore, you don't know what you're doing and you have no vision. And Jesus finds the man who was born blind and says to him, go wash in the pool pool of Siloam. And he goes and now he sees. Are you tracking with me? I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Because it's an interesting thing to be able to move, but not to be able to see where you're going. And I find the generation of people right now of every age that are moving through the world, but not able to see where you're going. And I'm praying tonight that before you leave, that your eyes will open and that you will see that there is a path for you. And it may not be everybody else's path. And it may have twists and turns in it. But God has a path for you to follow. Put your hands over your eyes and say, I have vision. The most fascinating, the most fascinating to me, though, is this, this thing. 
in Acts, Acts chapter 3 about this man who was born lame from his mother's womb, born lame. He was born lame, and it says that his friends would carry him and lay him by the gate called Beautiful. And before we go any further, I think that we should take a moment and thank God for those who have carried us. Because I believe that every so often, everybody needs carried. And very few people are ever going to get through the world without some help. And the reason it's good to help somebody if you can is because someday you might need some help yourself. And the truth is that, that there are people who have carried all of us through a season, through a situation, through some kind of something happening in your life. And I just want to say amen and thank God for the people who have carried us. Amen. And they carried him. And they, but people, this is what you have to know, is that people can only carry you so far. So they could carry him to the gate. But by law, they were not, by Jewish law, they were not allowed to carry him through the gate. It's a terrible thing to be laid by a gate. Because it's different than being carried to a wall. If I was carried to a wall, I wouldn't know what was going on on the other side. But when you carry me to the gate called beautiful, I can see through the gate that other people are living a life that I don't have access to. And the pain of realizing that other people are living a life that I would like to live, but I can't because I was born lame or crippled in whatever area, causes me to be able to see them living the beautiful light beyond the beautiful gate, but I'm stuck here in a position of begging, not by my choice, but because I was born lame. What the man doesn't know, though this was his pattern, is just the night before, in a room somewhere, something happened. There were people who were gathered in an upper room, and a sound came from heaven. And the power moved from heaven to the earth. And there was a sound from heaven, and they received power. Coming to my ending now, I think. And... One of the things that we have to happen as believers in, in the church today is to believe that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you didn't receive a one-off, one-time event, but you actually received power. I'm going to try that again. That you received power. You received power. The church has to be more than a support group. The church has to be more than a referral center. The church has to be more than a hobby for religious people. The church needs to be a place of power that when we are presented with a generation who has been born into the world, unable to walk out what they can see, that there's enough power to get them to where they are going. Somebody say, we have power. 
And so they received this power from heaven that came into the upper room. And so now they believed. They believed that they received something. They believed that they received something. They knew that what they received came to them and stayed with them. They did not leave it in the upper room. They believed that they received something. The greatest sign of possession or ownership is the ability to convey or to give. You cannot give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't own. You can't give somebody my car. I can't give somebody your car. You can only give what you have. This man is by the gate, but he's expecting. Expectation will draw ministry into your direction. Do you know how many times I have gone to church and watched people think that somehow ministry or miracles can be imposed upon you? Waiting for something to happen to you. Rather than realizing that it is expectation that draws ministry into your direction. And the friends had laid this man by the same gate, the same way, at the same time, over and over, not knowing what happened in the upper room the day before. And now Peter and John, don't have time to preach it, love and faith, are walking together. They go up together. They go up together at the time of prayer. And while they're going, this man has expectation. And his expectation is what he wants. He is expecting to get something from them. You can come to church and watch pastor get up and preach, or your pastor for all the other pastors that are here. You can go to church and watch something happen, or you can go there and draw something into your world because you get up and you go in expecting something to happen. Take a minute and clap your hands one time. Come on, we're almost there. I'm coming. I'm coming. And his expectation drew apostolic ministry into his circle, expecting to receive something from them. And when they fastened their eyes upon him, they said to him, look on us. Look on us. That's counterintuitive to most people's religious training. Right? We're taught to tell people, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Well, if I could see Jesus, promise, I wouldn't be looking at you. And people get up and, you know, they get up to sing and they say, don't listen to me. Just listen to the words. Well, how about you just save us and just put the words on the screen and go sit down. We don't have to endure it. We just... We, we act as if we, we are not here to be seen. But having received power, they understood that since we live in a material world, I need to see an answer with skin on. And so they were able to say to him, look on us. 
the church has to come to the place where we understand that we are the body of Christ in the earth. Not as a symbol, as a reality. We are the body of Christ in the earth. And if we are to try to save a generation, we have to be able to say to them, look at us. If you want to know what the kingdom looks like, look at us. Because you're going to see people of every generation. You're going to see people of different ethnicities. You're going to see people with different with different successes and failures because the kingdom is not made up of one thing or another thing. The kingdom is all, all of us coming together under the leadership of Jesus Christ. And if you want what the kingdom has, we have to be able to say, look at us. Because the truth of the matter is, they are anyway. It becomes the number one excuse for people why they don't serve God. I would... It was, it was Gandhi who said that, was it not? That I would serve God except for his kids, my paraphrase. He would be a Christian if it wasn't, he would follow Christ if it wasn't for other Christians, is the way that he said it. And that's how people do. That's an easy out for ignorant people to say things like, well, I would go to church, but, you know, church people, you know, are hypocrites or something, right? That becomes an easy argument because pretty much, Whatever world they're involved in has its share of hypocrites as well. I don't have time to dissect that one for them. But the point is that they're looking at us anyway. Hmm? And they were able to say, look at us. Look at us. God did not put his church in the earth to be hidden under a bushel. No man lights a candle and puts a bushel over it. If you take the bushel off, it gives light to all who are in the house. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And here we are in a time of darkness. What the Old Testament calls gross darkness shall cover the earth. And darkness shall cover the people. But arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It is not the time for us to adopt the worldview that everything is going to fall apart and that, that the world is becoming an apocalyptic zombie movie and that we're barely going to make it. And by the time Jesus comes back, there's only going to be 10 of us alive eating dehydrated fruit sitting in a bomb shelter. At some point, we have to realize that the meek shall inherit the earth. The earth is the Lord's, and we are the inheritors of the kingdom of God. And it's time to take the bushel off. Let your light shine into the dark places and tell the world, look on us. Say, I hear you. And so now, now we have, he said, look on us, look on us. And the man looked at him. And they said, silver and gold have I none. Watch me now. But such as I have. Such as I have. S such as I have. They understood that the power and the authority was given to them. They possessed it. They didn't have to stir it up. 
They didn't have to say, hang on right here. I'll be right back. Hang on. They didn't have to, they didn't have to do anything. They said, this is mine. They, they, weren't, they weren't saying that they didn't have any money. That wasn't the point. That's not what that phrase means. Silver and gold have I none. What they're saying, if you can get this, is I don't have what you want, but I have what you need. Because if I give you silver and gold, I'm going to sustain you for another day. But if I give you what I have, you're going to go for the rest of your life doing something different. It's time for the church to realize we have our place. We do. We have our place in feeding those who don't have food. Yes, we do. We have our place in clothing the naked. Yes, we do. But I don't consider that as much help as it is sustaining you. And I'm happy to sustain you until I get to help you. But my goal is not just to feed you a sandwich or to put clothes on your back. My goal is to give you something by which you become a self-determinant being and you are able to quit hoping that somebody will carry you and you can get up and go through the beautiful gate all by yourself. And so when they said, look on us, silver and gold have I none, such as I have, give I unto you. They reached out and they grabbed his hand and they pulled him up. Not a hand out. A hand up. Mm. When apostolic ministry touched him, the Bible is clear, immediately, immediately his ankle bones received strength. Immediately his ankle bones received strength. Because apostolic ministry joined themselves to him and they pulled him up and when he got up he got up leaping looked at that gate and went running and leaping in past the gate into the place that had been off limits to him a beautiful life and the people said they were amazed because they saw him leaping, walking, and praising God. And the greatest testimony is when the world sees someone who was lost or blind or lame, not just physically, in their, in their world view, and now they see you who is dependent upon other people to carry you through life, and they see you up walking and praising God, they know that something has happened to you. Somebody clap your hands in this place right here. Come on. Come on. Because I'm going to pray these two prayers here. One is for people who have a vision, but you find it hard to walk out what you see. It's one thing to see through the gate and feel powerless to be able to walk out your vision. How many people do I talk to in my life 
that have an idea, a goal, a plan, something that they see in the future, but don't have the capacity to walk it out. If you don't mind, now I'm going to act like a pastor and tell you that it's frustrating for you, and we know that it is, that when you say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, but you find it very difficult to walk out. And you get saved every week, and we're glad for that. You make our numbers look huge, but... I talk to pastors, and they say, we had 50 people saved last month. No, you had five of them saved 10 times. It's the same people. And I think in everybody's church, you have, you have those people that get saved every service. And you almost want to say to them, get ready to make an altar call, not you, not you. You're a frequent flyer over here, just... And, but the, but the truth, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is people answer, answer an altar call and, and they pray the, the prayer, whatever you call it, the sinner's prayer, the prayer of faith, whatever you, whatever your vocabulary is, they, they pray the prayer and they mean it. They mean it. But for some reason, they were born lame. They were not raised in an environment that helps them to walk it out. And so they mean it while they're here. They mean it while they're, while, they, while they're by the gate. They can see it. They really can. They can see it. They don't know how to get there. And they feel like everybody else was handed a book on life, on how to get through, that everybody got the class and the lesson, but they don't know how to get there. And because they hadn't been touched by apostolic ministry, they've already developed in their life a dependency on drugs, or alcohol, or something that is distracting them, or dysfunctional relationships. And so now they're lame. They're expecting they're lame. They answer the altar call, but they don't know how to walk it out. And sometimes we have to have present within the church enough power not to be afraid to grab them by the hand, and so I'm going to pull you up. I'm going to pull you up, and you're going to walk this out. And some of the very people that are used to seeing you sitting over here begging are going to see you standing up and walking on your own and doing something for God. Somebody say hallelujah. And I'm going to pray this prayer right here and right now for someone that knows that that's for you. And knows that's for you. And you say, you know, I prayed the prayer. I'm having a hard time walking it out. I have a vision, but I don't know how to get there. I see other people going through the gate, and I feel lame and for whatever reason, for when you are, where you are, who you were, the environment that you came up in, whatever it might be. But tonight, I want to declare to you, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I want to give to you. And I want you to get it. And you say, that's me. I'm one of those people right there. I want you to jump up on your feet right here, right now. And I'm going to pray this prayer for you. God bless you. All right, if you didn't get up, don't get up now. No, you can get No, you can get up. I'm not talking about anybody else because you're too slow. That, that's why you're. Oh, so you're up now. 
Okay, so if you're going to get somewhere, you have to move when it's time. Because I'm not going to carry you. Whatever it is, because no matter what you, what, what, no matter what it is that, that holds you, nobody knows it like you do, but no matter what it is, we can trace it. We can trace it to your bloodline. We can trace it to your upbringing. We can trace it to the, pe- to the people you're related to. We can trace it to the time frame that you were born into. We can trace it to the location. We can trace it to all of those things. But marvel not that I say unto you, you can be born again. And Nicodemus said, can a man be born again when he is old? Am I not the product of my environment? Am I not the product of my DNA? Am I not the product of my generation? And Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. You're always going to be related to the people that you're related to. But that which is born of spirit is spirit. And I declare over your life tonight that something moved. Something moved. And when I'm, when I'm praying for you, can you let, me, let me just pray for you real quick. Because when I pray for you, this, because, because what you're dealing with is generational. And it's really connected to all of the men in your family. Uncles. Dad. Cousins. This is... And it moves that way. And it moves that way. Because that which is born of flesh is flesh. But the Spirit of God is going to touch you. And tonight as I take you by the hand, you're going to find strength. You're going to find strength. And the strength is going to move into your life. And it's going to begin to push out that which is, really? That which is working against you. Give me your hand. In the name of Jesus, I speak strength into your life now. Hey, hey. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come here, I want to pray for you. Come here, come here. Come here. Lift up your hands where you're at. In the name of Jesus, the, big, the, the problem that you're having is that what you're after has not been modeled in front of you. You can see it. You can see where you're going, but you have no example or role model. And the Spirit of God is going to touch you now. And you're going to begin to see that you're going to enter a season of open gates. A season of open gates that are going to stand before you. And when you walk towards them, they're going to begin to open of their own accord. And God's going to put you in places and in rooms that you could only dream of. And the gifts, the abilities that you came into the world with are getting ready to spring forward in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen and clap your hands one time. Come on. Come on, everybody. Y'all ain't making any noise in here. All right, those of you that are standing, just lift up your hand where you're at in the name of Jesus. I speak by the power of God over your life. Let the Spirit of God come upon you now. And when you leave this place today and tonight, you are going to see 
a new beginning. I need some agreement in this church. A new beginning. A new beginning. And that's going to help you, young lady. That's going to help you um, lose your attachment to fools. Yeah. Yeah. And the Lord's going to put angels around you. because, Well, there's a whole lot that goes with that. But you know what I'm talking about. Are you related to her? Friends? Friends, or you just happen to be sitting there? Yeah? Okay. Don't take me down the hole. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. So you're... you're burden struggle has been trying to help her lose her attachment to fools because you're the ones that you're the one that she calls when we when it goes through this cycle problem is her burden is she's trying to walk you through a different cycle right yeah so tonight come come here you two come here come here come here you two we're gonna get this fixed right here we're gonna get this fixed right here you guys seem like you're ready to go home or something you're very quiet Very quiet. I've been doing this for a long time, okay? I'm pretty good at this, okay? It's what God gave me to do. I can't do math. We're, you know what I'm saying? Come on, high five. Praise God. All right. Um, so, oh, I'm over here. Come here, guys. What? Expect to receive. Don't be, where are you going? Where are, what are we doing? Here, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here, right here. You're the next contestant. Don't get to phone a friend on this one. Okay, here we go. So, um, just hang out, hang out for a minute. You're good. Don't be nervous in the service. So, my wife and I started our church 39 years ago in a storefront building with 100 chairs. Not 100 people, 100 chairs. We had about 30 people, and God put in our hearts that we would pastor three generations of people. So, I still have in the church that my daughter and her husband are now pastoring, still people in that church that started with us 39 years ago in a storefront and their kids and their grandkids. Some of those kids were on my staff that I'm still in contact with. I'm the only pastor they've ever had. The only reason I say that is because you guys don't know me very well, but you should know that you can't pass through three generations of the same people in the same city by not knowing what you're doing and making prophecies up. I don't make stuff up. That's just my way of saying, if I, if I say I know something, I know something. And I know what I just told you. And I know that you want it to change. You just don't know exactly how. And sometimes it just takes a little anointing and a little connection with a local church family stronger to know that you can get up I came here tonight to tell you you can get up you can get up okay you can get up you can get up and this in, in this uh, this gift that you have this what do you call it a gift or a hobby or proclivity whatever that you uh, of writing and things that you like to write and and like poetries and essays and novels and things. How am I doing? You're doing good. <laughs> I did this. I, I, 
yeah, anyway. All right, so, so your, your deal is you don't know how to monetize that. You don't know how to actually make money. That's what I'm trying to say. This is, and, and, and because people that can be close to you don't always understand what God gives us, you know. Joseph grew up in a house like that. God gave him really two gifts, the management of households and the interpretation of dreams. That's what he does his whole life. But his family couldn't, couldn't get that. David came up in a family that left him out because he was illegitimate, you know, and so they, they excluded him. And it didn't matter how anointed he was, they were always mad at him. But he was still going to be the king. So it so sometimes people can be around you. I'm coming to you next. Hang in. Hang on there. But the people around you can 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 care for you and all that, but it doesn't mean that they always understand it because it doesn't make sense to everybody. Because you always have this thing where you're wanting to write and you're wanting to do your uh, poems. You're wanting to write these little little screenplays or whatever all that is. And you're trying to write all this stuff out and everybody around you says, you know, it's time for you to actually grow up and do something. Okay? So we're gonna, I'm going to pray over you and God's going to give you the confidence of it and open up the doors in front of you so that you know how to take this and monetize with it. Because there are people getting paid really good for what you're doing. Uh, yeah? That good? Yeah? 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 And the gate has been waiting to open. Ah, there it is. That's, that's how that connected to losing the, I'm calling it the circle of fools because I just have to use the words I have. The circle of fools, you're familiar with that. Yeah, you know who they are. I see them. Yes. And aren't they a bunch? Anyway, wow. So anyway, the, the circle of fools, you, you can't get free from them until you, you see this, what I'm talking about now. Because that really is kind of like when, when the people that could support what's in you, but they don't understand what's in you, you know, the, what we're talking about. Then, then we seek another group of people that accept us for who we are. They're the ones that have been carrying you beside the gate, but they can't get you into it. So they're your emotional support system. That's why you tolerate their foolishness, because at least they like you. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I got it. I got it. Give me your hand. I got it. It's all right. You're going to be okay, because it's going to break right now. It's going to break. Watch. It's going to break. Now. Break. There you go. Woo. There it goes. Are you scared, scared now? Nervous now? Yeah. <laughs> you better get over here. Yeah. Woo. Have you ever seen anything like that? You have, but you get, you, you're looking at her like you want to see if she's still breathing or something. <laughs> so, so I saw I I said to her, come over here. And she goes, like, am I going to, I don't, I like you. You're all right. You're all right. You're all right. No, it's all good. But you know what's funny to me? Like when I, you keep, like I'm holding your hand, but you keep pulling away. She keeps going like, (laughs) like if I would let go, she would be going the other direction. All right. All right. It's all good. It's all good. The Spirit of God is going to help you and strengthen you. 
I'm going to tell you something. This little cyclical battle of, of depression is going to leave you tonight. Yeah, I see it. That's what she supports you with. You support her with the fools, and you have to stop that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have to stop that. But she supports you with this cyclical pattern of depression. See what I'm saying? Yeah, there's no shame in here. All of us have felt like off or something, especially during COVID. There were people just about lost their mind, right? You know, so whatever. It's no, there's, I'm, I'm not worried about that. What I'm telling you is this, this is an assignment of the enemy against you. And here's how you're going to know that I'm telling you the truth. Every time that a new door opens up in front of you, just as you're ready to walk through it, you get visited by that depression. And it causes the door to shut in front of you. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> like in the middle of something here. And that thing comes and it visits you. And then you don't sleep for two days. See what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's tormenting. And you have very few people to talk to about it. And that's why you talk to her. Because she's struggling in one area. You're struggling in another area. And tonight it ends. And tonight, tonight, people are going to see you two walking, leaping, and praising God. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Let me see your hand. I don't care if it has tears on it. I have prayed for people all over the world. I like you. Jesus likes you. Jesus died for you. And he didn't die for you to watch you to be tormented. And tonight I break every assignment against your life. And I declare freedom over your life. And you will never, never be the same again. In the name of Jesus, thank the Lord. There it goes. Breathe in real strong. There it is. In Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't that cool? You didn't even have to fall. All right? Because you're very, you're very concerned about that. Amen. Everybody clap your hands one time. Come on. Come on. Isn't that beautiful? Did you get that? Did you get that? So who, who are these people? Who is related to you that's here? You have to speak. I, I, I don't do sign language. Your sister? Yeah? Are all, who's all together? You're confusing me. Okay, everybody. That's simple. That's simple. Okay, but you're wearing everybody out. They paid me to tell you this. They love you, but you're wearing everybody out. So, I'm only here for one night, so I have to say it quickly to you, okay? So, the thing is, everybody loves you, but you're wearing everybody out because you don't know what to do, and they don't know what to do because you keep falling back into the same addiction. Yeah? 
and it's and it's all, it's all good. Come out here. Come here. Put the boy down. Put the boy down. I'm going to help you tonight. I'm going to help you tonight. I'm going to help you tonight. You act like you don't believe it yet, but you're the guy that stood up, and they're the ones that carried you to this gate. Okay? So they love you. They're just tired. They have nothing to do with love. Because, as I said, you keep falling back to this addiction. And nobody else needs to worry about that. It's just me, you here, and everybody on social media watching us right now. Nobody, <laughs> nobody even knows what's going on. It's just me and you. It's just me and you. Okay? But the thing is, the thing is, what people have been saying to you is that, you know, nobody can do this but you yourself. Yeah, that's what they, that's, that's what you keep saying. Nobody can do this but you yourself. Yeah, right? Yeah, I get it. Because that's all you know how to say. I mean, you know what I mean. That's all we're told to say. That's all we're told to say. But the truth is, there has, you want to do it. But you, but you haven't, you don't have the power to do it. And that's hard for people that are not bound to understand. That sometimes you can be born lame. And somebody said, okay, well, who did this? Your mother, your father, where did this come from? Oh, my God. All right? All that stuff. But that the glory of God might be revealed in you. I break this assignment over your life. I break the spirit of pharmacai and witchcraft over your life. And I command it to loose you. And let you go here and now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. What's your name? Dylan. Dylan? Yes. Dylan. Everybody say, hey, Dylan. How many, how many believe God for Dylan? All right. Now. <laughs> So, so what you have to do is hang on to this word. Okay, watch. Don't be upset with them because they don't throw a party for you tonight. You know what I'm saying? No, no, because they're tired. And you keep coming. You know, you, know, you understand what I'm telling you, right? You got it? Yeah, I got it. I see the whole thing. And if they threw you a party tonight, you'd be high before it was over. Okay, so we don't want a party. <laughs> but, but, but don't. Don't be upset with them if they don't like celebrate. I mean, they're going to be with you, but they have to see you standing and walking and praising God. Okay? Amen. High five. Come on. Everybody, everybody glad for Dylan? I'm glad for Dylan. God bless you, man. Okay, God bless you. Okay, did you guys all get that? Did you get your, you guys are going to walk and praise God? I'm going to have the time to pray individually for everybody, but you guys got that, right? Whenever, whenever God is touching somebody, he's touching everybody. So you take that word, all right? Let me pray for the next group. You guys sit down. I'm, I'm almost done. Are you guys ready to go home? What time do the restaurants close? Somebody needs to go get us a pizza and take it to the hotel or something before everything closes up. You, you on that? Yeah, I knew, I knew you had a particular gift of the Spirit. Oh, now he's giving me coffee. Oh, I guess we're going to be here all night, right? All right. Okay. So there are also, that I was praying for those that have a vision. Thank you, Dylan, for letting me pray for you. Yeah, I'm really serious about what I'm doing. Sometimes I make it a little lighter 
just so that it's easier for people, you know. But it's really tough on the devil. It's easier for people, but it's tough on the devil. So, so that's, there are also people that are born, born blind without a vision. And it just seems like you don't even know why you're here, you know. And that's a terrible thing. Because then your thinking becomes fatalistic and futilistic. The worst thing, the worst thing to see is, is young people that don't, don't know what their future looks like. Isn't it amazing that the highest rates of suicide in almost every developed nation of the world is the, the highest rates of suicide are young people from ages like 12 to 18, 18 to 24, when your whole life is in front of you. But if you can't see it, feel like I'm just I just need to get out of here but but whether it is to that extreme or you're just aimlessly wandering it is possible to be around people and especially if you're the first person in your family to do something that nobody else has ever done I'm the first person in my family to ever have a passport I'm the first person in my family to ever be on the airplane I'm the first person in my family to ever write a book I could give you a lot of first. I didn't always have someone in front of me to show me how to do it. But thank God for vision that God will show you step by step. But you're here and you say, somebody else may, may, may have a vision but not, not know how to walk it out. I know how to walk it out, but I don't, I don't have a vision. And that's you. It's time for you to jump up. Stand up wherever you're at. And I'm going to pray this prayer. I like it because you moved quickly. Hallelujah. God bless you. So this is, this, come here, I'm going to pray for you now. Because this is like, you guys are together? Hmm? Fr friends? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the good thing about this is because, this is what, I, what I'm seeing here, is part of the reason you don't have vision, because you spend a lot of time taking care of this one. <laughs> yeah? It's what happens, right? We get, we get consumed in things, you know, and supporting each other, which is great. Because sometimes we don't get to where we're at if somebody doesn't carry us. Carry us until we have those breakthrough moments. The vision is coming to you. And, and the words, negative words that were spoken to you uh, by uh, a parental figure from the time that you were young. All of that critical um, stuff, you know. That's what keeps going on in your head. And the crazy thing is... It's possible for us to get older and still have those things going in our head. You know, if you don't, for example, if you don't learn how to read by the time, where, where are we going? All right. If I get in your way, just let me know. So, so if, if you don't learn how to read by the time you're five, six, seven, you don't automatically know how to read because you turn 50. And, and when your self-esteem and affirmation, all those things are being developed at four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, if somebody snaps your self-esteem and your confidence like they're stepping on a twig when you're young, it doesn't just come back to you because you turned 50. That's why we stopped talking about it, because we hate feeling like we're a cripple. See what I'm saying? 
That's why the things that were spoken were actually like word curses. People do things they don't know what they're doing. And they're speaking word curses over your life that has limited you from being able to have a vision. But I declare over you tonight, every assignment against your life is broken. Every word curse against you is canceled. Every cyclical pattern of failure is broken. And tonight, you will see and have vision that will begin to come to you, even in the form of dreams and visions. Aspirations are going to begin to rise up. And next year, this time, if I get to come back, you will not be the same person in Jesus' name. Somebody say hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. How's that? That's good, huh? That's good. Aren't you glad you came? I know. It's good, huh? I mean, come on. What else are we going to do? Sit home and watch Netflix with him? All right, young man, young lady, all of, everybody's standing up right now. I got to get us up out of here. Everybody hold, hold your hands up. 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 Not that. What are you? What is this? There you go. Goodness. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. In the name of Jesus, I declare over your life that the Spirit of God put vision into your heart, into your mind, that your eyes can see, that your heart can see, that you are not aimlessly wandering through a maze in life looking for cheese that is not present. Whew. I declare over you in Jesus' name that your eyes be opened. That vision come to you and you will not perish because where there is no vision, people perish. And I declare to you that you will not perish. You will rise up. You will surprise people. You will do great things. You will fulfill your purpose because God is on your side. One last time, everybody. Come on, put your hands together. Hallelujah. Come on, everybody. Just take a minute. Take a minute, everybody. Woo! In just a moment, pastor, pastor's coming. I want to say thank God for you guys. And I speak a blessing over your life. Because we wouldn't be here tonight sitting here in this room had you guys not said yes and I always like to honor people that say yes because it's a lot of no people in the world thank you for saying yes and we ask God to bless this community the pastors that are present the leaders those that are committed to places of worship that serve in different areas how great it is for us all to be able to come together and to know that God wants to do something great in Kimberly. He wants to do something awesome in Kimberly. And we are so believing God for it. Well, I trust that message blessed you. Please feel free to contact us for any prayer requests or feedback. We would love to connect with you. You can follow the Word Church Kimberly on any social media platform and become a part of our online community. Be blessed. Be blessed.